five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. Before we get to today's podcast, a note on next week's Terranauts podcast. Next Tuesday, the 12th of November, is an important anniversary for Terranauts. That is because it is the 24th anniversary of the launch of Space Shuttle Mission STS-74, which was the first time Terranauts host Ian Christie ever sat in Mission Control Center and watched the shuttle go to space with an instrument that he had helped create on board. It's the day that made Ian a Terranaut. To mark the event, we have a very special guest for next week's episode. We can't say much about it yet, but tune in next week to find out who it is and why it's an important anniversary for them as well. Okay, just a reminder, if you like the Space Q and Terranauts podcasts, please support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Okay, on to this week's podcast. We have a special podcast from the recent International Astronautical Congress in Washington, the Heads of Emerging Agencies Plenary. This is a new plenary session at the IAC. And while we're accustomed to a plenary featuring the heads of legacy national space agencies from the US, Russia, Japan, India, Europe, China, and Canada, it's only in the past few years that the voices of emerging space nations are starting to reach a global audience. This panel offers the listener an opportunity to learn about the programs from some of these emerging space nations, along with their thoughts on a host of issues facing all nations. In this panel, you'll hear from space leaders from the United Arab Emirates, who will host the IAC next year, along with South Africa, Thailand, Brazil, and Angola. The panel is moderated by Pancho Maruping, Chair of the Scientific and Technical Committee, United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs from South Africa. The panelists include... Mohammed Nasser Al-Ahabi, Director General, UAE Space Agency. Valanathan Munsami, CEO, South African National Space Agency. Anand Snivong, Executive Director, Geoinformatics and Space Technology Development Agency, Thailand. Carlos Augusto Texera de Moura, President, Brazilian Space Agency. And Zolana Rui Jiao, General Manager, National Space Program Office, Angola. We've edited the recording, removing individual introductions to keep the podcast within a reasonable length. Listen in. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ponso Maruping. Um, I'm the chair of the South African Council for Space Affairs. I also currently chair the United Nations Subcommittee on Space uh, Technology. Um, in line with this year's theme, the power of the past and the promise of the future, imagine space nations do want to be part of this future. Uh, they have awakened to the realization and appreciation of the impact that space, science, and technology can make in addressing socioeconomic challenges. This morning, um, 
We will engage with the panel to, to look at issues such as uh, the technology drivers that are enabling uh, the emergence of um, or the participation of emerging space agencies, some of the strategic uh, partnerships that support this, uh, issues around space governance and uh, space uh, fourth industrial revolution and the SDGs. I will now give uh, each panel member uh, about three minutes to make their opening remarks, and then that will then be followed by um, a, a few questions from me. And then we will also would like to encourage the audience uh, through Slido to also uh, pose questions that uh, we will then address to the panel uh, later. So over to you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here, and I would like to take this opportunity to give you an overview uh, of our UAE space program. Uh, as you might know, um, UAE uh, has an active uh, space uh, program in uh, the Middle East. Um, basically, um, our country has identified space as part of our current and the future, and we have been investing in space in the last 20 years. So basically, uh, today we uh, have um, uh, significant capabilities on the regional level. Uh, for example, we uh, UAE operates and own 10 satellites in orbit, uh, eight satellite in projects. Uh, we have the first space agency in our region. Uh, we have um, a mission to Mars, what we call the HOPE. Uh, this will be launched next year. Uh, it's a scientific mission uh, that we do uh, in cooperation with uh, some uh, international partners. Uh, basically, for us, this is a platform uh, to uh, acquire knowledge uh, and uh, networking and uh, technology. Uh, the, the country has invested in our space activities more than $6 billion so far. Uh, in different uh, uh, activities. We have a strong um, capability in satellite communications. Uh, we have uh, two companies that are providing uh, satellite uh, broadband uh, services to the Middle East, Africa, and even to South America. Uh, I had a word with uh, Carlos that uh, one of our satellites is providing coverage to Brazil connecting schools and uh, uh, clinics in remote uh, areas. Uh, we have a, a significant uh, capability in education, in space education. Three universities are providing uh, space education. We have a number of uh, research space centers that are dedicated for space. Uh, we have uh, an astronaut program. Uh, our astronaut, uh, first astronaut, actually uh, came back early this month from the International Space Station. We are also active in international level. Uh, we have a, a, a great uh, cooperation and uh, collaboration with the most of space agencies. Uh, not only just uh, you know signing, but uh, we have active projects. We are also have a, a good presence on the international level in terms of uh, 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 peaceful use of space, especially in the United Nations and COBOS. Uh, we are also active member in IAF, uh, and also we are hosting uh, IAC next year uh, in United Arab Emirates and Dubai. We also focusing not only in our country, but in our region. We are trying to establish uh, regional space cooperation, especially with the Arab countries. Uh, 
we managed to get 11 countries early this year to establish what we called Arab Space Cooperation Group. Uh, it's, a, it's a starting um, a step towards a bigger cooperation in the future. Uh, we are uh, trying to focus on building capacity, uh, try to bring hope uh, to the young people uh, using space. Uh, we know space is a tool for innovation, uh, inspiring people, and this is what we try to do. I'm very happy later on to answer some questions. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, next is uh, Dr. Mansami. Thank you, Chair, and thanks for the opportunity, and good morning, everybody. Um, if I had to characterize the South African space program, uh, the phrase I would use is gearing up. So essentially, what we're trying to do is look at projects that are at the turning point that will set us in a new trajectory, essentially. And just to capture three projects very quickly, uh, the first is uh, on space weather. We have the only accredited space weather center in Africa, and we've been designated by CAIO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, to provide space weather for the aviation sector in Africa. And we've just got commitment from the government to build a new space weather center, which will be 24-7 operational. And we're also currently looking for a research chair. Uh, we will develop capacity in South Africa around uh, space weather. And the second project is on the assembly, integration, and testing facility. So we have an AIT facility which was built in the 80s. Um, and so we've just also got commitment from government for the next three years to actually upgrade the facility um, and modernize it. And there are two specific uh, pathways that we're actually following. The one is the CubeSats, uh, which sort of started in around about 2008 as a university program, but now we're looking at missions. And the second is the small sets going up to about 500 kilograms. And so we have a specific interest in developing optical and SAR capabilities, and also looking at specific science missions going forward. Then the third one is our ground segment, which is uh, north of Pretoria in Archbishop. And we have a number of antennas that cover all conceivable uh, parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. And at the moment, we're expanding this to look at deep space networks. Um, we're in conversations with the major agencies around supporting the Luna and the Mars missions. So we will see a ground segment in South Africa. And the second is teleport services. So there's a number of uh, sort of satellite uh, constellations that are coming through for teleports. And that will be expanded in the next year or two. So those are the three key projects, just to give you a flavor of what we are doing in terms of expanding uh, the program in South Africa. Uh, I just want to invite the colleagues in the room to Space Ops 2020, which is on the 18th and the 22nd of May in South Africa in Cape Town. So I'm hoping I'll see you there. And the last slide is you can visit us on stand 221 uh, in the exhibition hall. Uh, we've got a friendly group of staff you can engage with. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Mr. Snidwang. Thank you. Well, in, in Thailand, space, space activities are carried out by a number of uh, department of agencies. On the government side, we have, we have more than 10 active uh, uh, departments and agencies actively working on different aspects of space, but we also have private sectors, company, there's a number of startups that are interested in then, uh, <clears throat> different type of uh, space uh, manufacturing uh, and services. <clears throat> 
also universities uh, that are working on on research and many things. So then that's why we we ready now to coordinate that we have the National Space Policy Committee chaired chaired by the, the Deputy Prime Minister and uh, working on 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 policy on and, and others. As for JISTA, JISTA is just one of the uh, public uh, agency uh, organization. Uh, in the past, we put a lot of emphasis on. Well, I I just have that uh, Thailand and space as already has a long, long, quite long heritage. We have uh, uh, used uh, satellite communications for more than. 30 years. The, the first uh, ground station was established, I think, uh, almost 40 years ago. And also for the first uh, remote sensing uh, satellite receiving uh, uh, image receiving station was more than uh, 25 years old now. But uh, recently, uh, the remote sensing and also uh, uh, in, uh, Geoinformatics applications and mapping are being not only by JISTA but uh, other uh, departments and also uh, private companies has already been uh, uh, take care of many aspects of those. So right now, as for JISTA, we are emphasized on uh, three more new areas. The first one is, of course, uh, we we know that one of the 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 uh, uh, weakness of uh, to develop space uh, uh, activities in Thailand is on the policy side. Well, we have a national policy committee, but the awareness among top policy people on uh, space is still not very very high. So right now, we uh, establish a new. Uh, Program which is called uh, Space uh, and Geoinformatics Platform for Sustainable Development to what we call actionable intelligence policy. So that means policy have to be both actionable and intelligence. The second area that uh, we are now uh, emphasize will be on space economy through industry, manufacturing, and services. Uh, we, as this that we are not doing this alone, but we, we, we facilitate through uh, several means and incentives to small and large uh, companies. And the third and last area will be space science, space experiments, space exploration, including uh, the space weather, uh, space situation awareness, and so on. This is, uh, of course, it's a uh, collaboration between uh, civilian and uh, military agencies uh, that we, we as, a, as one of the new priorities for space for Thailand. So thank you very much. Thank you. Um, our next speaker is uh, Mr. Dimora. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Bom dia for my Portuguese colleagues, <laughs> uh, Portuguese speaker colleagues. Well, as probably most of you know, Brazil is a, a very huge country with so many discrepancies in our realities. Most of our population is concentrated along the, the coastal line of Atlantic, and the interior of the country 
uh, has what we say a, a demographic emptiness. So one of the main challenges we face in Brazil is how to integrate really integrate our people, how to diminish those differences, how to give better opportunities to, to allow of the, the Brazilian citizens. Our Minister of Science and Technology, Innovation and Communications is astronaut Marcos Pontes, is with whom uh, uh, the Brazilian Space Agency works. We are very aligned. And besides technology, he's always talking about education, education, education. And one of the good examples we can bring in order to show how space can really modify the reality in emerging countries is, as my colleague Mohamed said, uh, uh, in countries like Brazil, where you have so many isolated regions, the unique way you have to connect people is by satellites. So we have some private companies that we're doing that, and our recent launch of uh, state-owned geocommunication satellites, it's called SGDC, just in this year, since January, we have integrated more than 8 million students, more than 8,000 schools and uh, small hospitals and things like so. So this is one of our, our examples. Uh, we believe that the space can really contribute to make the living better. Well, uh, we have done some other activities in, in the space domain also. Uh, in fact, we initiated in the early 60s uh, with NASA doing some small experiments in the atmosphere, so we keep some capabilities in launching rockets, in, in general sounding rockets. We have two launch centers, and we has all, have also developed a, a lot of uh, capabilities in Earth observation systems. So we have a, a, a National Institute of Space Research that has a lot of uh, good work on space weather, meteorology, Earth observation, and other things. We have today eight, eight federal universities that give courses Hello. Give you courses on aerospace engineering. So it's a, a, a very good information for all of you that want to, to collaborate. We have young people eager to, to apply their knowledge in engineering and science. So it's really a pleasure to be with you and to share our expectations and our possibilities of cooperation. Uh, our next panelist is Mr. Joao. Yes. Uh, good morning, distinguished uh, panelists and distinguished guests. Um, actually, for Angola, um, it's a very interesting story how we got in space. We we went to a very severe war problem. And in 2012, we started rebuilding our infrastructure in the country. As you can imagine, um, we had all the telecommunication infrastructure destroyed, and Angola is mainly uh, rural, and this is a big country, it's one million kilometers square. Uh, we are now with 20 million population scattered around, and we had to find a way to deploy communications fast to cater for education, telemedicine, and so on. So the government took the decision in 2013 to, to acquire our first satellite called AngoSat-1, 
which with the aim of uh, delivering uh, satellite communication throughout the country because laying fiber and the other network infrastructure will take some time. This is how we got in space. So five years ago, we had non-existence uh, space infrastructure in the country, either on ground and space. Today, we, are, we can say that we are among eight nations in Africa where are quoted to have uh, space infrastructure. Besides the communication satellite that we are now building, Angosat 2, which is a high throughput satellite with uh, six uh, transponders on C band and 24 beams for QU band internet delivery. We also procuring now a new, brand new, we just signed contract with Airbus to, to procure new, a brand new observation satellite to help manage resources in the country. And later on, I can go a little bit more in detail on why we are procuring a new observation satellite. I also like to, to focus that for the last five years, we have done tremendous job on space education and training. One of the big challenge on space in our experience in Angola is that the stakeholders, even government, they don't really understand the technology. And took us took us a while to figure out this problem. So the past three years we have been engaged in a very intensive awareness program. If you go to our booth in 6009 Imagine Countries, you'll find some comics books that we, we, we target uh, special kids and uh, other special um, uh, information materials for high level and the stakeholders, active and passive stakeholders. For now, that's all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, it is said that one of the major changes that has happened and allowed more participants is as a result of the decreasing in barriers to access to space. Um, for example, uh, between 1970 and 2000, the cost to launch a kilogram uh, remained fairly steady, an average of 18,000, uh, 18,500 US dollars per kilogram. Uh, with the SpaceX Falcon 9, um, access to ISS, the cost is about uh, 2,700 uh, per kilogram. What are some of the technology drivers uh, that you believe enable new imaging agencies to get involved in space? Uh, well, in our case, uh, in UAE, we, um, uh, we, uh, maybe the, our, our story is different because we uh, had uh, before uh, space infrastructure. Uh, when the space agency was founded in 2014, uh, we uh, have decided not to uh, operate, but to coordinate, facilitate, and integrate. So what we try to do uh, to promote uh, our space sector uh, is to uh, uh, become a funding agency where we support our research centers in certain technologies. Certain technologies that it's not uh, uh, probably available, uh, but it can provide a niche for us. Um, as a space, as a young space, uh, you know, uh, nation, uh, I think it's the case for everyone. A CubeSat is a, is a good way to educate uh, and to uh, probably promote uh, space. Uh, then uh, we had a lot of uh, uh, space uh, uh, R&D projects. Uh, 
we are part of uh, International Space uh, Exploration Coordination Group. Uh, this group is um, focusing and listing uh, certain technologies that it's required for space exploration. Uh, we are a member of that group, and uh, they issue a kind of uh, a table for certain technologies that need to be developed. Uh, for human space exploration. We are also considering that. We developed also uh, the space um, the science and uh, technology innovation roadmap. Uh, so we try to work on, um, uh, on plan uh, using the fund uh, to uh, for coming from the space agency to direct you know these uh, technologies uh, we also work uh, on um, a different uh, track which is a space investment uh, try to boost our space sector through invest in space space economy uh, we just issued uh, our strategy which is a um, 10 years uh, working plan or roadmap uh, and we also issued what we call a space investment strategy where we try to encourage uh, local investors and foreign investors to come and invest in the countries through different uh, tools uh, and mechanism uh, it's, I think it's a package uh, from technologies uh, from investment uh, regulations cooperation this is will help to advance any uh, emerging space nation. Thank you. Okay. Uh, anyone want to add anything? Yeah. So just in terms of emerging nations, given the financial constraints, I think we're looking for much more cost-effective uh, platforms. So we started off, for example, using CubeSats as a cost-effective platform for education. And I think when we started around about 2007, uh, CubeSats were considered a space debris. And now it's become a reality that is actually used by sci for science missions. Even the bigger agencies are looking at CubeSat missions. So I think given our experience in CubeSats, we've also broke through that uh, domain. And I think we are a serious contender even with the bigger agencies around CubeSats. So, so one of the ways that uh, space seems to be advancing a lot, uh, actually it's been from the beginning, is around partnerships. Um, so maybe I can ask, uh, what are some of the strategic partnerships that you guys are looking at uh, in terms of um, participating more in space activities? Thank you. I think so, look at the partnership in two levels. <laughs> within the partnership within the countries. Uh, and of course, we have been trying through several modes of coordination. The, the committee is still uh, very important, but also engage people on the on new innovative platform that uh, not uh, just only through government, but uh, for example, we we have youth network, net, network that we have, uh, many of them are very much interested in, in space. And at that level will be partnership at the international level. Well, in, in Asia and Pacific, we have uh, many opportunities. Uh, APR staff, for example, APSCO, GEO, and so on. So these are, we have this at the, at the, at the regional level and also at the truly uh, global level, Corpus and others. Well, as for Thailand and, and uh, some of our neighboring countries, we're still not very active in that level, Corpus, for example. But uh, we hope that through some initiative that we are trying to, to promote, uh, such as the uh, regional liaison office 
for USA that uh, hope to be established in in Bangkok in in the near future. We we'll hope uh, to facilitate such such uh, partnership uh, at the regional and global level. Would you like to add more? Well, Brazil has been engaged in foreign uh, cooperations with the United States, Germany, uh, China, Argentina, France. So we have a, a long history of cooperating bilaterally. Uh, concerning uh, multilateral cooperations, we do believe that political problems sometimes uh, arrive. Uh, let's give you an example. We have the context of BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, and, and South Africa. Uh, that has been proposed a, a virtual constellation of uh, satellites. We are working on that. And fortunately, between uh, India uh, and Brazil, between India and South Africa, everything comes OK. But eventually, you have some problem with two countries. And so the remaining of the others just wait uh, the time they they could uh, solve the, that problem. So we, we believe that bilateral cooperations are, are really easier to, to proceed. And that's what we have done in, mainly in science with, uh, with the NASA, also with the ILR, using a, a small rockets, sounding rockets, microgravity experiments. Uh, with China, we have also the, uh, not China, Argentina, some projects concerning uh, 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 ocean resources, so we, we have uh, the idea to, to produce two satellites uh, uh, devoted to that. And we believe that with all this uh, new way of doing things in space, the small sets, we can really have uh, better opportunities to engage in cooperation with our neighbors in South Africa, uh, the whole Africa and our neighbors in, in South America also. So those are cheaper, and we have a launch center. We are developing a small satellite launcher. So we believe that we can do things easier instead of just going on piggyback with the great launchers. Okay, thank you. Uh, do you want to add anything? Yes, uh, I also like to contribute. Um, uh, Small sets uh, are now a great opportunity for emerging countries. We have been to this year to Portugal in the new summit, uh, new space summit, where Portugal invited all the Europe to discuss opportunities and technologies, what is needed to make it cheaper for launching small sets. And by the way, they are building a new spaceport to, to facilitate countries who want to launch small sets. We, we have been trying uh, to join this, this program with Portugal. We have always been discussing for the five years also with South Africa. To, we, are, we are trying of learning and experience, very successful experience with the small satellites as a bilateral partnership. We are offering also the, for the new coming years, we're going to come and do and join CubeSat program. More for capacity building. I have been stressing this uh, and emphasize that it's not possible to go to space, even with new space technologies, if you don't have enough education. Quality in education is very important. 
then one of also our strategies on our bilateral partnerships is to go and, and fetch education. We are doing with Airbus. We have now eight uh, master students doing inter on job um, master courses with is a superhero on learning on the ground how to build either from small sats up to large satellites. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Uh, just a few words on uh, cooperation. I think from our humble experience, uh, space is all about cooperation, especially for a young, uh, you know, emerging uh, space nation. And it's you know, just only uh, countries, but can be in a different uh, format. For example, it's important to engage with um, uh, advanced uh, space agencies, uh, but also for uh, non-government organizations, uh, any you know emerging space uh, country need to also get you know the benefits. From example, uh, IAF, it's, it's it's a platform that you can engage, you can learn, you can uh, you know uh, advance, you can make uh, connections. Uh, United Nations, uh, COBOS, uh, other you know space uh, organizations. And also with the private sector. Today, is, uh, we see a shift that um, you know companies uh, are uh, investing a lot in space, and they are driving certain technologies. Uh, so my recommendation, and based on our experience, uh, space uh, is, cooperation is very important for any uh, emerging space nation, uh, and it should be uh, not just only in one direction, but with all nations. Uh, for example, in our case, we signed uh, more than uh, 30 uh, space cooperation agreements with every almost space agencies, except you know my friend uh, in Brazil, and we are heading to do that. But wh why we are doing this? Because we learn, we engage, we network. It's a different schools when you go from country to country, uh, but, but uh, I think it's important that you have all these uh, levels of cooperation. Can I just make a quick point? So we also have a number of bilaterals, but I just want to pick one particular relationship with Europe. So we participated in the framework program in terms of space cooperation. And Europe has this model where they work with third partner countries. And South Africa was ranked second after Russia. It was Russia, South Africa, and then the US. And the reason why we were so successful, there's three preconditions to that. The first is that we knew we had to have the expertise back home to engage effectively. The second is we knew which projects we wanted to engage in uh, from a strategic point of view, a national perspective. And the third point is that we came to the table with our own funding as well. We didn't just come there looking for money. And so I think those three preconditions set the platform for us to be successful with regards to international collab collaboration like with the FP7. Okay. Thanks. Um, so one of the um, uh, most topical issues right now is fourth industrial revolution. Um, and I would imagine that as emerging countries, we're also looking to participate uh, going forward. Space uh, is considered to be one of the major enablers. Um, how do you balance uh, the need to push boundaries in terms of developing new industrial activity as well as taking care of the uh, uh, SDGs uh, from a development point of view? Um, yeah. Uh, well, in our case, actually, at, um, a few weeks ago, UAE established the first, uh, you know, artificial intelligence university, uh, and uh, we think there's uh, connections between AI and uh, space applications. Uh, for example, you know, um, uh, imaging recognitions. Uh, even if we think about uh, a satellite, satellite it's a robotic. 
uh, and I think uh, there is a, a connection. Uh, we try to uh, leverage on uh, the capability that we have uh, and uh, connect that in space. So we direct you know, some investment now, and we try to, to attract uh, certain uh, foreigner investment uh, to uh, come to, for example, to UAE and do, uh, you know, connections and to uh, projects, to do projects uh, that's related uh, to space, but also to uh, be in line with the advancement of uh, AI and big data and uh, Internet of Things. You know, we think space is, uh, is a key to connect all these uh, devices in the future. Uh, small satellites, we see uh, the trend now to go to smaller satellites. Uh, and I think this is where, you know, AI and it's um, uh, be uh, crucial for space application. Anyone want to add anything? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. go ahead. Yeah, we, we also, uh, for, for instance, one of the things that uh, our government is looking uh, for, for IR it has to do with the AI as well. For instance, in terms of SDGs progress, Africa is doing the least progresses. And Agenda 2030, Agenda, African Agenda 2063, they say space technology is key to, to help boost these SDG goals. So what, what we are focusing now is, for instance, mo most of our last 10 to 15 students went start abroad, they are focusing on space applications, how to use AI in agriculture. And we are already applying this to Angola. We have we have acquired a, a lab with Thales and Lenin in France, which teaches us our students all the downstream training and how to apply AI straight in in, pre, in predicting, for instance, agriculture crops, uh, flooding, uh, and uh, we are also oil country. We are also using AI on how to detect oil spills in the country. This is just something I would like to share as well from Angola side. Okay, thank you. I think I agree with uh, colleagues from UAE and Angola that, uh, well, with new industry and new new way of uh, uh, technology, AI, for example, will lead to a more, uh, I'm quite optimistic that uh, on Earth they're going to be more sustainable. But I was uh, with a question whether uh, sustainable development in space and in planets, whether it's going to be, it should be quite challenging because uh, it will look like uh, our world centuries ago where uh, people explore oceans and so on as a, as a, as a blue field, green field, but uh, without uh, uh, consider much consideration at the beginning. So I, I, would, I don't want to see space and our space and our planets to be repeated that way. Okay. Um, uh, one last comment before I go to the uh, I, I questions from the floor. Share the South African experience. So South Africa has invested about three hundred million dollars on the radio astronomy, which is the most powerful telescope at the moment, called the Meerkat. And what we've done is we've leveraged on your software engineering, uh, big data, because the radio telescope is a big data problem in itself. And what we've, we've got in South Africa is the archive of satellite data going back to 1972. And we started to build a data cube um, platform which will allow us to process data, analysis-ready data, since 1972, which is very important for evidence-based policymaking. And especially with term, in terms of achieving the SDGs, you want to look at what the trend analysis is, essentially, and arrest it and move it towards achieving the SDGs. And so a platform like that is very key in terms of achieving the SDGs. 
Okay, thank you. Um, so please uh, continue to post your questions. I'm gonna take uh, audience questions now. Um, the first question is, how do you persuade people in countries with fewer economic resources that it is worth their while uh, to spend on space, I guess? Anyone? <laughs> well, the, the main driver I have for that is the examples that we gave considering connecting isolated communities. Uh, probably most of you have read in newspapers the problems in Amazon region, things like so. Yes, the, that's a very important bioma for everybody, for our country also. But inside that region, that's more than half of our country's size, we have people. We have 20 million people living there, and they need to study, they need uh, health care, they need a lot of things. So how to arrive there and get there in contact? And I was talking with my colleague Mohammed, and he explained to me how cheap that may be bring broadband to them and connect them, bring them to 21st century. This is one of the examples. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, okay, the next question is, would it make sense to create an African space agency? As you know, the African Union has approved actually the establishment of the uh, African Space Agency. And then the rest of the question is same for South America or Southeast Asia, uh, same model as ESA to bundle investment, leverage expertise. Um, well, maybe you want to say something about the African Space Agency? Why me? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think we went down the process of developing the policy, the strategy, and then started looking at the implementation plan. And now we're in a stage of looking at an African space agency. I think the, the key to the answering this question is what is the role of the African space agency? And uh, the answer is that the African space agency should be playing a coordinating role. So you have 55 countries on the African continent. Probably only eight of them are fully space-enabled in a way. But what happens to the rest of the countries? So the agency has a key role in terms of ensuring that the other countries come on par, but also bootstrapping what the national space programs have in terms of bringing that into the um, into the continent. So I think the essence of the question, or what is, uh, in terms of answering the question, is what is the role of the agency? And I think that's what we're still grappling with with regards to setting up the agency. Yeah. Okay, any comments about the other regions? Yeah, uh, for, for, for Southeast Asia, I think we, uh, we discussed this ab about this uh, within ASEAN, uh, uh, which is a regional uh, political uh, corporations. At the moment, we, we still don't have, but what we had already established is, uh, is a regional uh, ASEAN regional training center for space applications. And so that uh, at least it will cover the role, bring people together annually and then uh, make people understand because uh, in among 10 ASEAN member countries, Southeast Asia countries, we have so different range of uh, uh, advancement, space advancement. Singapore, for example, is among the top, but we have countries like Laos PDR, Cambodia, Myanmar that are quite lag behind. So I think uh, to make them uh, to the, up to the same level is, is, uh, is important. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, actually, in, uh, in, uh, it's not mentioned in the question, but uh, if we uh, uh, talk about Middle East, uh, especially the Arab uh, countries, we are taking an initiative uh, by UAE Space Agency to create uh, what I mentioned earlier. But the idea is to uh, try to help these countries to navigate safely through uh, and to establish space programs. Uh, the more uh, countries are, uh, you know, entering, you know, uh, the space domain, uh, we will be better off. Uh, benefits will uh, can be shared, uh, and I think uh, space is uh, important in certain regions, especially like in Africa and the Middle East, uh, because we have uh, difficulties um, uh, when it comes to environment, uh, to climate. Uh, space can help. Uh, to identify uh, natural resources, to identify where uh, to grow uh, crops and everything. So I think uh, it's a role uh, on space, space countries who has some uh, you know, significant space activities to help others as well. Uh, because, uh, I mean, uh, the benefit will be shared and everybody will be uh, getting uh, uh, you know, benefits. Uh, the other question is, are uh, uh, any of you participating in the Artemis uh, program and the Gateway project in any capacity? I, I think I mentioned the uh, Deep Space Network that we're setting up. So that will be positioned to participate in terms of supporting those initiatives. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, okay, so the other question is, what is what, what is it like trying to be part of a very open and transparent sector of the global economy from your country? Uh, and how do you balance local versus global norms? Is the question clear? Uh, I can try. Okay. <laughs> uh, when it comes, if I understand correctly, the question is, uh, is when it comes to space economy, uh, in some countries, you have uh, space activities or space industry, local space industry. Okay. Then you try to open the door for international or for uh, uh, you know foreign investment. Uh, I think um, the driver, uh, especially in our case, is to have a, a very transparent, clear policy uh, and regulations, uh, including you know space law. Uh, that protect, uh, you know, the local space investment, but also to encourage uh, foreigner investors to come. And I think uh, policy, regulations, transparency is important for space economy. Can I just answer that as uh, add yeah. to that? So, uh, I mean, the space sector is a global sector. So you have to look at it as from a global supply chain point of view. So how do you plug into the global supply chain, the space value chain? And so as you're setting up your national space programs, you have to also consider how do you position that in terms of plugging into that value chain? And there's a lot of... Uh, issues in terms of international cooperation and leveraging on partnerships that you can use to, to do that as well. Yeah, yeah I just had some comments. I, I deeply agree with my colleagues. And just to give you an example, uh, in Brazil we are uh, trying to approve, maybe not this year, but next year, the new law of space. And that law, we consider all these new uh, drivers we have, this new reality, and how we can accommodate uh, operations, for example, in, in our launch center that was uh, ruled by 
government mainly, and that now we want to to be uh, working in commercial basis. So uh, we are looking at other countries like New Zealand, some others, how they manage that, and we certainly we introduce some modifications on in our uh, country, in our regulations, in order to to make it easier and cheaper to use space systems. Yes, we uh, also like to add a little bit on the space economy. Um, the African market is a seven seven billion market. This is a huge market. Uh, some challenge, as some of the colleagues have always said, uh, already said, has to do with the regulations and policies. But what we are trying to do as well is to look how we can work on the downstream where it's easier you focus more on applications uh, because we know that upstream is very tough when it comes to construction of satellites and launching but our government is trying to see how can you get a share of this 7 billion uh, market uh, share and just to give an example for instance uh, some african countries they pay um, almost monthly 50 million US dollars to rent other satellite capacities for other, other countries. So if we come together on Africa regions, we can uh, actually be part of this uh, this chunk of the money. For instance, in, 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 for instance, in 10 months or 50 months, you can buy a, a fully HTS satellite and, and have part of this share market if, instead of having this exporting outside Africa. And on the other end, we have a lot of stress in Africa for jobs. And, and if we look at this chunk of the money once again in Africa market, Africa, I think African countries have a lot of opportunity to make some money. Thank you. So my panel is itching to answer the question about women. Um, I'm going to start with a difficult one because there's two questions. Um, it says all the heads of the emerging space agencies on stage are male. How do you see the role of women in your organizations? And then there's a specific one for the UAE. How do women get to work in the UAE within the space sector? So I will take the UAE question. <laughs> uh, well, in our case, uh, you know, we are proud that uh, women are empowered in our space uh, sector. Uh, around 35% um, uh, of the total uh, people who work in the space sector are women. Uh, in my organization, the UAE Space Agency is 45%. Uh, um, but also, uh, I will give you a good example. You know, when we opened the competition or the applications for the, our uh, astronaut program, uh, 4,000 uh, people applied. One third uh, are women. So uh, out of 4,000, 1,300 are women who want to go to space uh, because they feel confidence. Uh, and uh, also today we are winning uh, the UAE Space Agency, winning uh, uh, the 3G uh, award which is uh, geography, uh, gender, and um, uh, generations. Yeah. So we are proud of, uh, you know, women and uh, our space sector, and I think they are doing great. Yeah. Uh, it, nobody gets to not opt out of this oh, question, yeah. so you all have to answer the question. <laughs> okay, just in terms of the South African National Space Agency, the executive member team is seven members, and four of which are women. So it's more than 50% women. And I can take it a guess that the, my successor will probably be a woman. Okay. And more than 40% of the workforce is women at the moment. I think we're getting to gender parity over the subsequent decade. Well, the, the, this 
question is not just only for space agency. It's uh, it's applied in Thailand for for other science and, uh, and technology uh, uh, disciplines as well. But if you see that, uh, if you look into the number of of staff, maybe like in other agencies, uh, the ratio between male and female are quite equal. Actually, in our agencies, if you take the whole the whole uh, people the, of the of the agency, we have more women, a little bit more women. Than, than men, but I admit that at the at the, at the top uh, level so far, uh, uh, the male dominate uh, the, the the position. Our agency established for already for fifteen years, and uh, we had already three. I'm the third uh, director. All of them, unfortunately, uh, were male, uh, but we have uh, at the at the deputy. At the deputy level, we have a good candidate, so so it is uh, possible that we will see more women in the future at the at the, at the top management level. Oh, I would say that may be may be the in great numbers, but certainly women are brighter. That's what we see in our agency and many of our technical domains. For example, in Brazil, I would say that today most of the students are women. In medicine, they are the majority. For example, in the Air Force, in the health sector, majority are women. So they are technically, technically really very good, very devoted. And we, our space agencies is so few, but in three years ago, we have hired a group of about 50 specialists, and they, they are not, I would say that 40% are, are women, but some of them are really bright, PhD, so devoted, so, so, so clever. For example, we are presenting the candidacy of Brazil to, to host the IAC 2022, and the leader of that project is a, a, an, a, an economist that is really very enthusiastic, very industrious. So we have some examples, and we believe that in the next years, in, in maybe in 10 or 20 years, we will have a participation of women in also in the, the administration. Because as we, we see in Brazil, some of them quit their career earlier beside, before reaching the, the, the top level of the administration. That's something that is linked to cultural problems. But it's changing, changing a lot, and we are very proud of that. Okay. Uh, in our case, we we are going to a thirty percent ratio. We are we are, we are going to work on thirty percent. But very interesting uh, scenario. Um, I had the pleasure to be from the beginning when we recruited all the seventeen engineers we have now in the agency, and the thirty percent of women actually when we do evaluations they contribute closer to eighty percent of the good results we have. Although there are few, uh, uh, there are few in our institution, but they really contribute to most of the good results we have, and and they also to progress much faster on the ladder. And in our case, our the two deputy in our agency, they are women's, and I think I'll be replaced very soon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to forget these responses. <laughs> um, just one last question. Um, how do your government interpret the legality of commercial utilization of space resources under international law considering plans to go back to the moon? Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, in our case, we just uh, drafted and uh, our space law was approved from the government. Uh, when we uh, drafted that law, uh, we considered these new trends in space, including space resources. Uh, and I think uh, it's coming. Uh, also, we uh, we uh, we touch based and try to regulate uh, human space flights. For example, uh, space tourism. Uh, I think uh, it's important to uh, uh, you know pre be prepared in terms of uh, uh, space resources legality and also uh, to be active with the international space community uh, in terms of try, uh, trying to uh, get you know. Um, uh, common understanding and common agreements about, you know, uh, ownership of uh, space resources and uh, and that's important for space exploration. Uh, in our case, we uh, are acting on both uh, tracks, on the national level and international level. Uh, I think it's important for emerging space uh, countries to uh, start thinking about uh, the um, uh, regulation framework, including space law, uh, and that's it's important because it will provide clarity, uh, provide you know credibility in the international level. Anybody else want to add anything? Yeah, go ahead. You Okay, thanks. Um, as the chair for our space council, you probably know the kind of work we're doing. So at the moment, we're going through a reform process in terms of our Space Affairs Act, our regulations. And I think a lot of the drivers for that is in terms of what's coming out now in the domain, including um, you know, looking at these new missions that are coming through, mining of the resources. I think we're still trying to get a position paper around that in terms of what it means going forward. Um, so it, just in terms of human, uh, maybe touching on the second part, I don't, I don't think emerging nations can stay out of these human missions as well, space exploration, because you have to look at it from a point of view 50 to 100 years down the line. What picture do you want? Do you want us to stand on the side and look and watch, or do you want us to be part of the uh, integral part of that? So unless we get into this um, train right now, we will miss it in 50 to 100 years. And that's for our future generation. Okay, thanks. That's really a, a very challenging question. And we are addressing this point in the, our new law of space. Certainly some things should be modified considering that our treaties were signed in the early 60s and 70s. So we should update them. And we believe that the, the main ideas that uh, supported the treat of Antarctic, uh, Antarctic region they, they should be the basis for what we would like to do in space. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, that's all the time we have, unfortunately. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? 
Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.